So you know how there's grandfather clocks? Yes. Were there grandson dials? <laughs> about how time is a construct yes i mean like time is real but the way that we like quantize it yeah i'm sorry did you just say quantize yeah is that a word i'm pretty sure can you verify that for me real quick it is a real word what does it mean so in physics it means (laughs) apply quantum theory to well i guess i have to agree that the way that we Apply quantum theory to time isn't real. Time is fake. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast. So this is Meet Cute, a show where we talk about all the places that science and art intersect. I'm Lauren, and I threw up three days ago. Uh, I'm Lee, and I didn't throw up three days ago. Uh, I'm very sorry to hear that you were ill, Lauren. I'm fine. Well, I'm okay. Well, then I don't care. Um, so today we're going to be talking about time. Uh, no, we're not. We're going to be talking about clocks. We've just been talking about time a lot, and none of it's been funny. So do you want to kick us off, or do you want me to go first this time? What are you feeling? Feeling like a number one or number two? I can start. I feel kind of like a number two this week. Let's go for that. Nice. Okay. So when I was looking into clocks, it was actually super interesting because clocks have been around for a very very long time so there's a lot of different iterations of clocks right so it's easy to see how the technology of clocks have evolved since the days of like sundials and water clocks so basically we moved from like i'm sorry what is a water clock a water clock isn't really a clock it's more of like it's more akin to like a water bed yes it's more similar to hourglasses in that it like measures elapsed time rather than like okay actual time okay so then we moved into an era of mechanical driven clocks which are things like pendulum clocks or springed clocks things that don't have electronic components necessarily but do have um mechanical components that are driven by gravity or by springs And then we moved into electronic clocks that can use things like atomic structures or crystal impulses to keep time. So I, there's a lot of, a lot of really interesting information. I was like, I don't really know like what to pinpoint, but I think I'm just going to do an overview of how clocks work, basically. Yes. The different components of clocks. And I learned a lot, actually. Lay it on me. Are you ready? No. Okay, now I am. Okay, good. So almost all clocks follow the same operating mechanism, which generally consists of, one, a power source, two, an oscillator, and I'll get into what each of these are in a minute, three, a controller, four, a counter chain, and five, an indicator. So the power source is pretty self-explanatory. In mechanical clocks, those are things like weight suspended from a chain, like you see in like cuckoo clocks or grandfather clocks. In spring-driven clocks, they're springs. And these clocks tend to have to be wound periodically to restore the energy back into those mechanisms. 
So when you wind a pendulum-driven clock, it takes the weights back up so that it has the energy stored in it to fall back down. Electric clocks, though, use obviously batteries or outlets. Okay, so that's your power source for pretty much all clocks. Except in the case of ancient clocks like sundials or water clocks. I'm not going to talk about those much. Do you think it's wild that we started off with solar clocks and now that we're getting into like solar power as a resource, we've come full circle and we're using the sun to power clocks again? Yeah, but not not as an oscillator. So with with a solar clock... The, the timekeeping element, the oscillator, was the sun. But in this case, we're using the sun as the power source for the clock. But yeah, I get what you're saying, coming full circle. There's some sundials that, like, if you have good knowledge of latitude and you're good at constructing sundials, you can get them to be accurate within, like, a minute. Which is crazy. It makes sense, though. Like, the sun is reliable. For now. Does time not exist when it's a cloudy day? Can you imagine waking up in the morning and be like, what time is it? Oh, it's overcast. I don't know. I guess I can't go to work. It's my nightmare. <laughs> I just hate not knowing what time it is. I have a watch. I wear a watch all the time. Me too. Worn this, I've had this watch for like five years, six years, actually. And I just replaced the battery in it. Wow. Yeah. The power source. The power source. I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you with so the- <laughs> brilliant insights. You're, this is just... Top-notch quality right here. Mm-hmm. Okay, then each clock has a component known as the oscillator, which is the actual timekeeping element of the clock. It uses resonance to vibrate at a resonant frequency that resists vibrating at other frequencies. So kind of like a tuning fork. Some clocks uses use tuning forks. They vibrate at a specific frequency, and, and that frequency you hear is sound. Okay. And so this vibration is measured it's measured by its Q, the letter Q, which is the quality factor. So things that have higher resonant frequencies tend to have higher quality factors. So they're better at keeping time. So people are trending towards having higher frequency resonators in their clocks. So in mechanical clocks, that's your pendulum swinging back and forth. And and those, you know, can be affected by like drag and other like you know kids touching them and and so that frequency can be thrown off a lot easier so they have a lower q factor um other well anyone touching them not just kids if i touch a pendulum it's still gonna affect it not as badly they're afraid of children um early electronic clocks use tuning forks as their oscillator um, but electronic clocks now typically use some sort of crystal, such as quartz crystal. And this was interesting to me. I was like, how do you use a rock to keep time? So they do this They do this by taking the quartz crystal and distorting it with an electric field. Um, and this is known as electrostriction. It's a weird word. It is a weird word. Electrostriction. So when the field is removed from the quartz, it oscillates with a precise frequency as it's trying to reshape itself to its original form. And it also creates a voltage, which allows it to become its own little circuit, basically. 
become an electrical component within a circuit. That's cool. So that frequency it emits, and that's how that's the timekeeping element of of the clock of the watch. And atomic clocks use vibrations of electrons and atoms as they emit microwaves to keep time because they emit the microwaves at a specific frequency. Okay, so we have our timekeeping element that's somehow emitting wavelength of something at a frequency. Yes. So our controller is what keeps the oscillation oscillating at the correct frequency. I like to think that it just like nudges it. So it's like if your grandfather clock starts swinging a little bit slower, you come over and give it a little nudge to start swinging back at the right frequency. It also has another purpose, and that is to convert the vibrations of the oscillator into pulses that measure time. So it kind of like decodes it, I guess. Decodes the oscillations into pulses that measure time. So in mechanical clocks, this is called the escapement, which is a weird term. I don't quite understand why. But it gives precise pushes to the pendulum and releases one gear tooth of the escape wheel at each swing. Basically the tick of the clock. It just moves a gear with each of the swings. In electronic clocks, the controller is called the electronic oscillator circuit which gives the vibrating crystal or tuning fork little pushes, which are like, I think are like electronic pulses, like little electronic pushes to keep it accurate. And atomic clocks do their own thing with microwaves. (laughs) I wrote, (laughs) atomic clocks also have their own thing that has to do with microwaves, not the appliance. Mm, Important distinction. So the counter chain counts the pulses from the controller and adds them to become an interval of time, such as seconds, minutes, hours. And usually when you set a clock, this is what you're changing, is the counter chain. Okay. So in mechanical clocks, this is done by a gear train, which also gives energy to the oscillator from the power source. So the gear train is counting... The pulses from the controller but also driving the oscillator and there's a special interface between the clock face hands between the gears that drive the clock face hands and the other gears in like a watch called the cannon pinion that allows you to change time without jamming up the rest of the gearing so like when you pull your little tab out on your watch and, and turn it yeah it's engaging that that pinion and then the final part of every watch almost every watch, is the indicator, which is just the time display, basically. So the face. The face. The beautiful face. And as I was looking into it, I was like, oh, analog watches are kind of a combination of mechanical and electric clocks because they have a battery, but it drives gears, right? So the pulse is from the circuit, so it it uses electric methodology from the battery to you know circuit and everything the pulses from that circuit are used to drive what's called a stepper motor and a gear train which move the hands so that's what you hear when you hear the clock ticking i think is that stepper motor engaging okay they're pretty cool i i like them because like 
the mechanical clocks are kind of an analogy for electrical clocks. Like they have similar operations and everything. So it makes it easier to be like, oh, this component in the electrical clock, I can visualize in the mechanical clock. It makes it easier to understand, I think. Yeah. They're pretty cool. It makes that the evolution of that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know where the evolution is going to go either. I mean, right. Somewhere. Well, I was reading about atomic clocks. Um, and there was one that I was reading about and they were like, it's great. And it will be accurate within like one second for like 10,000 years or something ridiculous. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then I kept reading and it was like, you have to charge it every 30 hours. Wow. And I was like, so actually, it's not going to be accurate to a second for a thousand years. Because if I don't charge it after a day and a half, it'll be dead is what you're saying to me. So is that like charging the timekeeping part of the watch, like the oscillator or charging the power source? Do you know? Charging the power source. Oh, okay, okay. But okay. still, yeah. pretty useless watch. So if you had a battery that could last a thousand years. Yes. It would keep time. Which we do. It's the sun. There are like solar powered watches. Are you thinking of calculators? No. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I had, like, I had one as a kid. Is it one of those uh, Casio ones? Oh, no, yes, I think I know what you're talking about. I I strapped a calculator (laughs) to my wrist with duct tape, and I was like, wow, everybody, look at my watch. Look at what time it is. Click, 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 click. And then it said boobs. (laughs) And Um, boobs. (laughs) Yeah, no, there's... Yeah, now that you say that, I think think you're right. Yeah. The thing is, though, these are all, like, really nice watches that I'm looking at right now on Google Shopping Results. But there's, like, kids' ones. Do they not make them anymore? I had one that was, like, a Rugrats one, I think. I feel like I got mine as, like, a McDonald's thing. Yeah. No, mine, it had, like, some character on it or something. I think it also had a flip top, which, pretty souped up watch. Yeah, okay, I'm on the same page. I'm on the same page now. Okay, I told you. Um, now I want to talk about Jeff Bezos and his stupid clock that I hate. Um, I don't know he had one. He does. He has a very big clock that he's working very hard on, like a very good boy. Very big, good, strong boy. Um, here's some info about it in his own words, which will probably be enough to discourage you from ever looking up anything about this clock. Um, okay, please stop me before I put my hands on my computer and look it up okay um on the learn more section of the clock's website jeff says we are building a ten thousand year clock it's a special clock designed to be a symbol an icon for long-term thinking it's of monumental scale inside a mountain in west texas the father of the clock is danny hillis he's been thinking about and working on the clock since 1989 this is the richest man in the world and this is how he writes a sentence why do all rich people speak and write like at like a third grade level because they think that everyone else speaks and writes at a third grade level i guess they're trying to be relatable i guess but i'm like this is these are like the most basic 
This is the most basic sentence structure. Like I am. It's a big clock. Yeah, I'm like it tells time. It's literally it. it it's a special clock. Like yeah, Jeff. I don't know. I don't care for this gentleman. Um, so the clock itself is kind of an interesting art piece. Uh, it's not the clock's fault that Jeff is paying for it. Uh, which, by the way, he sunk like forty million dollars into it as of February of last year, which is like a decent amount of money for a clock. Um, it's inside a remote mountain in Texas, uh, and it has five. They call them anniversary chambers. It's basically five time capsule rooms. Um, there's only plans for the first two to be filled by the original creative team, and then the last three are going to be filled in by like future generations. And they're leaving like blueprints and like the schematics for all of that to be able to happen. Uh, there's one for the one year, ten year, a hundred year, thousand year, and ten thousand year anniversaries of the clock. And the one year and the ten year, the one year is going to have like historical things. Like it's it's going to be like prior to the building of the clock and then the 10-year anniversary they are planning on filling that room as well and then the last three they're leaving up to future generations to fill in um the clock chimes once a day which seems excessive um it ticks once a year it has a century hand instead of a minute hand and a cuckoo that comes out on the millennium which i like to assume also looks like jeff bezos um it's like it's an interesting project um and the goal of it is to inspire people to think about the long term but it's being bankrolled by someone who like i would argue the only person who has the wealth to pretty much single-handedly halt climate change in its tracks and Mm -hmm. every day he wakes up and chooses not to do that so clearly it's not very effective thinking in the long term yeah Yeah. so i don't know i think it's odd Also, i would argue boring into a mountain is not necessarily thinking in the long term no um and it's like it's very remote and he's like super duper proud of that he's like oh it's uh where is it on here yeah he says visiting the clock will take a commitment the nearest airport is several hours away by car and the foot trail to the clock is rugged rising almost two thousand feet above the valley floor so like why like that to me makes it seem like it's only going to be accessed by people that are wealthy enough to be able to access it yeah this is everything about kind of like is the opposite storing art in you know people people that are wealthy that hoard art yeah keep it away from people to see it you know yeah and I, I mean it makes sense that the richest man in the world would take a piece of art and make it classist in the extreme mm-hmm. um where it's taken 40 million dollars already to make this uh, and it's only really started you know they, they're years My away question is why is it so big why can they just make a smaller one I don't know. Um, that people can visit and it would cost less money. Right. I don't really know that. I, I understand the idea of putting it somewhere kind of remote because if it needs mm-hmm. to be undisturbed for 10,000 years, like I, I understand putting it somewhere remote and stable, but putting it in 
a largely inaccessible place and carting materials to a largely inaccessible place. Like this is employing people full time until the completion, I assume, of the project, which is like wild. I don't know. Like it's Hmm. it's a cool idea similar to like um, what's the library forest with all the books that no one will read. The future library. Also, 10,000 years is like a really cocky assumption to be like, this is going to work for 10,000 years. Yeah. Like, people are going to think that this is important and relevant for 10,000 years. Yeah. That's, that's a long time. That's kind of the interesting thing about it is like, I understand um, getting Jeff Bezos on board with it because you would think that it would raise the profile of the project. But this was literally the first time that I'd heard about it researching for this podcast. So clearly that hasn't worked, you know, because like as someone who is somewhat keyed into like interesting and weird things happening in the art world, like I had never heard of this. So how effective can that really have been? And also like, I, I guess like it's not anywhere near completion still, like groundbreaking just happened not too long ago, like just within the last several years. But like, it's just, yeah, it's a very, it requires a lot of assumptions to be made. Um, And I would understand if it was like a piece about hope, like comparing it to the future library, um, which uh, it is, the future library is an art project um, by Scottish artist Katie Patterson, where she planted Um, a forest of a a thousand trees just outside Oslo in Norway and it'll slowly Mm -hmm. unfold over the next century so every year until 2114 one writer will be invited to contribute a new text to the collection and in 2114 the trees will be cut down to provide the paper for the text to be printed and that's when they'll be read so these trees have been planted to grow for a hundred years to be cut down and made into these books by authors of our generation, like famous and like well-known authors of our generation that we will probably never read because we will not be alive in 2114. But right. it's a very like it comes from such a place of hope about like, you know, I hope that in 2114 there will still be people and they will still want to read books and they will still care about a project like this and you know like it's it's putting that into the hands of the next generation and yeah. saying i hope that someone takes care of this project and i hope that someone loves this project as much as i do where i feel that the 10,000 year clock comes from such a place of audacity of like mm-hmm. this is something that i've created and it's something that will last forever and it's something that deserves to last forever you know, and it's something that deserves to have $40 million put into it so that yeah. you can travel thousands of miles to this remote location and scale a mountain to revel in the glory of my creation. And I don't care for that. Yeah. It seems a lot more focused on like the engineering feat of it and the, the grandeur of it than like the design of it and the long, really the point of longevity and that sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. And... It's something, too, that, like, comparing it again to the future library, in order for the future library 
to exist and to be a completed work and a completed piece of art, humanity needs to continue. Humanity needs to continue to exist. Yeah. And work together. Yes, exactly. This clock will exist with or without us. This clock doesn't care if we're here. So, I mean, I guess like it makes sense that Jeff is in charge in some capacity, but I don't know. I think it's kind of a, I wasn't, like there's certain things, like when I read about Future Library a while back, I was like, this is like the most, this is beautiful. This is hopeful. Yeah. You know, it's, I was like devastated that there's a Margaret Atwood novel I'd never get to read, but very delighted that that's a thing that exists. And with this, I was kind of like, all right. Like it was, it was more depressing, I think, than anything else. Like it, it felt very cold yeah. and big mm-hmm. and mechanical. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's not the thing is I think it's an interesting idea and I think that under different circumstances it would be something that I was really interested in because this is a concept that I think is really fascinating is creating things that will outlive you and creating things that you know will outlive you with the intention of them outliving you. You know, like cuz of course like we create things like we're we're making this podcast right now in 2019. I don't know if in if in 10 years, if in 20 years, if in 100 years, there will still be any record of us doing this, you know, like, mm-hmm. of course, you always hope that the things that you make get to live on after you, you know, but sometimes that doesn't happen. And I'm not making this. And I assume that you're not making this with the intention of that happening and with the explicit desire for that to happen. But making projects with the intention of that happening always has something sort of bittersweet in it to me. But with this, it just felt like grandiose. And yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah. I just, I just don't understand why it has to be so big, so remote. So like, yeah, there's et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So inaccessible to everyone. Cause like timekeeping largely, as we talked about earlier has stayed the same like everything has like the same key components in it and and maybe the way that those components operate are different whether it's analog or electronic but they've largely stayed the same so having just like a big clock is not really a testament to how how time has passed right yeah one of the bullet points on this uh it's actually it's a letter uh Welcome to the 10,000-year clock website. It starts with that, those really weak sentences uh, that I read earlier. But there's a list of people. Um, one of them is Danny Hillis's company. There's a nonprofit um, established to foster long-term thinking. Makes sense. But there's also listed on here is Penguin Automated Systems, um, which provided guidance on the underground site development. Uh, Swigert Brothers Incorporated, which is a very good name for a business, um, who's leading the construction. Nice. Uh, Seattle Solstice, Masters of Custom-Made Stone Objects, apparently. Uh, they developed a saw blade to cut, not even to like make the clock, um, but to cut the spiral staircase out of stone in the clock chamber. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, so, you know, they made us, they designed a saw just to cut the staircase in this big clock's bedroom that it's going to live in. Okay, here's my thing. Yes. 
The first prototype of the 10,000-year clock is currently on loan at the Science Museum of London and can be seen as the final piece in Making the World Modern exhibit. The prototype began to tick December 31st, 01999, which is 1999. Okay. After an almost three-year research, and which is funny because it's right before Y2K, but anyway. After an almost three-year research and design effort. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a prototype of this that's small enough that it can be in a museum. Yes. And it's ticking and it's going away. Why is that not good enough? Like, people can go and see it and interact with it. Right. And understand, like, oh, this clock is going to tick for 10,000 years. Right. That's a long time. Yeah. You don't need, like, a saw that's going to cut special. Like, that just seems like a waste it's, of money yeah. and resources when they already have one that works and does what they want it to do. Yeah. And even if it's a matter of, like, oh, this is the prototype, we have a better version that's more compelling in some way right you know or more effective in some way put that in a museum yeah show the evolution of it yeah no and this like i'm not discounting the quality of this idea like i think that it's i think that it's clever i think that it's interesting and it's not something that i would be able to personally achieve you know but i don't think that it's as good as it could be and i think that there's certain things about it that really discount the like they i think there's certain things about it that undercut the point that it's trying to make yes yeah can i can i just make one more point that like yeah of course we might already have a ten thousand year clock it's called the internet how so i don't know i was just thinking about like this clock is like the the ten thousand year clock is like designed as an analog watch is designed that it has like a power source electric power source right. from the sun yeah. but then it turns gears like why why make that conversion from electric to mechanical when you could just have an electric clock <laughs> can we you could just put a big display up can we make our own 10,000 year clock it's just a digital clock plugged in in a mountain plugged into some solar panels outside <gasps> what if mm. I was thinking, you know how, you know how there's those clocks that like turn the displays yes. to like yes, 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 you yes. Do, but you like if you could do that with solar panels, so that when you're looking at it from a satellite, it would be like forty or four. You know what I mean? Yes. Like if you could rotate the solar panels to be like facing directly upwards. Yes. To display the time. Well, you could do it too. Like you know how, um, like digital i don't know if this is what you were thinking exactly but digital numbers are segmented yeah 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 so like you like you do all eights yeah yeah you know like and then you like a microwave the ones clock. to me yes yeah yeah that's a exactly. really good idea that's exactly what i was thinking can we make it yes let's start funding it I'll Who, draft the designs. What, what ceo do we want to approach with our idea someone that believes in us can we in- make a a 10,001 year clock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but they already have 20 years of a head start on us. That's fine. With the little one. That's fine. So, well, that's a prototype. That's true. So if we unveil ours sooner. Mm-hmm. 
best part about it too is that it's modular. So if like one panel goes out, you just replace it. Yeah. If one of those gears goes out, the whole like they're never gonna put it. Like you'd have to take the entire clock apart to put another one in. Yeah, coming soon. Our ten thousand and one year clock. So that's gonna do it for us this week on Meet Cute. Yep. Uh, I think. I guess it is. Uh, Thank you to She's a Spy uh, for writing our theme music for this and every episode. Uh, You can find them on Spotify by searching She's a Spy. And that's it. I like them. I think they're cool. You can find us online at meetcutest.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at meetcutest. Yep. And if you enjoyed spending time with us, today to talk about if you enjoyed spending time with us today (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's about as good as i got this week um then you can subscribe to us on itunes uh as we're recording this now all of that is live we are on itunes and spotify uh you can find us by searching meet cute or if you go to our website meetcutist.com there's links to both of those there as well uh so uh how are we gonna end the show today i usually have something good i guess not this time is that a time joke we'll be right just back next week thanks for listening i already made one of those